If you're able, please remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. So we come uh, to this letter uh, in 1 Corinthians. And one of the places that we need to start uh, is what is this place um, where the Corinthians are living? And what is this place? Uh, Because to understand what this place is will help us to understand how does this letter um, apply uh, to us. Isn't it amazing that um, 2,000 years later we have um, a letter written uh, to a church. And we have it now um, to help us to to live uh, and and live out our faith. So we've got to start. What what is this place um, called uh, Corinth? Uh, Corinth uh, was a cosmopolitan place, uh, many cultures uh, in, in one place, one of the largest cities, actually, in the uh, Roman world. All right, so you got this place, many cultures. Uh, this would be the place that um, you would go to to eat all the food from the entire world in one place. All the languages uh, of the world represented um, in one place. It truly was a place where the nations um, came. Why, why is that? Well, because of where it was uh, located, actually. Um, uh, Corinth was on this tiny little piece of land in Greece. Uh, and this piece of land connected northern Greece from southern Greece. And so the only way to get to the big places, the important places like Olympia, right? You can imagine this. The place where the Olympics are. Where did you have to go to get to the Olympics? You had to go through Corinth, right? You had to go through this city, Sparta, is in southern Greece. So to get to Sparta, you had to go through Corinth. And so Corinth uh, was this place uh, where uh, so many people uh, came and, and gathered because of where um, it was. And so it attracted all kinds of people. It attracted traders. Um, it attracted entrepreneurs, businessmen. Um, you could make lots of money in Corinth. Um, you could rise to power in Corinth. You could uh, build your wealth and have your honor. And, y'all, and you did it all while playing that careful game of self-promotion, right? Promoted yourself by promoting the people who were investing in you and played that game, right? We know all about that. And so this place is a, it's a commercial crossroads um, because of where it was. And so Corinth was really good um, at one thing. They were really good at becoming uh, a place of international pleasures. Um, That's what Corinth um, was known for. It was um, a a highly corrupt and immoral place uh, because uh, of where it was. The temple of Aphrodite um, was located uh, in Corinth. 
Okay, so Aphrodite, the goddess of what? Love, right? And so in order to spread the religion of love, um, there were many men and women um, who served at the temple uh, and gave their bodies away. Uh, it's, it's said that there were a thousand, um, typically at one time, who would do this. Uh, and so uh, uh, no better way to get this religion out than, than to have um, that happening. That is Corinth. And so this reputation uh, became so well known um, throughout the world. Um, they attracted lots of people and so much so that the city um, gave way to a lifestyle movement. <laughs> if we could hashtag it, right? Uh, and you know what it was? It, literally, this is what it was in the ancient world. To Corinthianize um, was actually a thing. And when you came to this city, you became a part of this city. Uh, and when you left, you were no longer anything but a Corinthian. And so to be Corinthianized, that would be a term we would use. He's Corinthianizing. <laughs> She's been Corinthianized, right? And so that's the culture uh, that we come into. And here comes Paul, right? Paul um, wanders into this city, um, and uh, he tells us in the second chapter, actually, uh, of 1 Corinthians, um, he says, I came into Corinth in weakness with great fear and trembling, <laughs> And you can imagine why, right? Because of this place. But not only that, Paul came into this place in fear and trembling because uh, if you uh, know about his journey, uh, he had just been beaten up in Philippi, right? He'd been left, uh, left for dead there. He'd been chased away after that by angry mobs in Thessalonica and Berea. And so for most of us, we would say, all right, time for a sabbatical. <laughs> I'm out, right? This whole missionary thing is a little much, all right? Um, but not Paul. Paul says, let's go to Corinth. And so he walks into probably one of the most intimidating cities that he'd been to yet, and he begins sharing the gospel, and there's fruit. But there's also a whole lot of opposition. And so God shows up to Paul in a dream. And this is what God says. Keep on speaking, Paul. You can check it out. Trust me, I'm not lying. All right, it's not my own vision. All right, Acts 18, go check it out. He shows up, um, and he says, Paul, keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. This is the best part. No one will harm you. I needed to tell that to Paul. But then he says, For I have many in that city who are mine, who are my people. And so Paul, emboldened by this word uh, from the Lord, goes in, and there's many conversions, and the gospel sweeps through the city, um, not just for the Jews, the people who already feared God, but also for Gentiles, the people who were worshiping Aphrodite, the people who were a part of uh, this temple. They start to get converted too, right? And the, 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 the gifts of God starts flowing in this place. Um, and, uh, but it's a hard time. Because for the Corinthians, it was hard to un-Corinthianize. <laughs> hard to leave that culture um, that they were a part of. They didn't realize that they were swimming in this water. They didn't know um, but it was toxic uh, to uh, this new life that they had in, in Christianity. We know about it from the text. An overview, all right, of the book. Um, in 1 Corinthians, we find out all kinds of crazy stuff is going on. Right off the bat, we find out there's a man having an affair with his stepmother, uh, and the church is celebrating it. Uh, we find out that there's divisions in the church. I follow Paul. I follow um, Cephas. I follow Apollos. No, I follow Jesus, right? Um, uh, we've got divisions like that. People are coming into the church drunk. Uh, people are getting drunk uh, on the wine. All right, it doesn't happen here. Um, but it's, it's apparently uh, going on over there. They're overlooking the poor. Um, all the while, they're gorging uh, on everything that's going on in the church. Um, there's chaos and worship. And all of that is because they've got a faulty view of uh, the end. 
They say, oh, it doesn't matter. There's no resurrection. You know, we're, we're good now. Jesus saved us and it's all over. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15 and says, no, let me tell you about the resurrection. Right, and so this is, this is the book. And so some of you are, are blushing right now. Right? Hey, what are, we, what are we about to get into here in 1 Corinthians? Um, how dare they in that church, right? Um, uh, oh, my. Uh, they call themselves Christians. They call themselves um, the church. Sure, I'm glad I'm not like that, right? Sure, I'm glad that New City is not like that. We've got it, you know, we've got it together. Um, we look pretty good. Others of you um, are thinking, well, that church sounds kind of exciting. Um, <laughs> let's... Let's bring a little bit of that here. Um, others of you are thinking happy hour before church, during church. Like, finally, I can bring my friends to this place. Um, the reality is the situations change, um, but the fact of the matter is we face the same challenges in this family of God, that new city. Um, Orlando is, is a version of Corinth, right? Uh, I'm not trying to make it all similar, but there's things that are similar. The nations have been brought to us. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the most diverse places. You've got thousands upon thousands of college students, UCF, Valencia, Rollins, all of that. Um, we've got racial divisions in our community. Pulse massacre happened here in our community, right? Um, we've, got, uh, we, we, we've got human trafficking going on in our community. Welcome to Corinth, right? And so the question that Paul is, 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 that is, is begging them to ask is, how then should we live in Corinth? How do we do it? Um, but I would, I would challenge us, because some of us, uh, the, the, the desire is, well, let me just survive. <laughs> let me just get out of this place alive. That's all our hope is, right? It's not to really thrive. It's just, hey, at least we'll survive. Let's get out of here. Let's stay Christian, right? Um, there was a book that came out when I went to college, uh, and it says, How to Stay Christian in College. Right? That's, that's our view, some of us. Like, how do I stay Christian here? Um, well, I want to I fight that. Because, see, New City, we, we, need to be, we need to begin to wrestle through these issues. Because we should have Corinth coming through our doors. Right? We should be saying, my goodness, what do we do with that? Right? If we're not, then something's wrong. And we should be asking ourselves, how does Corinth uh, come hear the gospel? And how is the brokenness of Corinth uh, redeemed here at New City? How does that happen? How is Corinth um, redeemed? How is our city redeemed how does the, uh, what's out there become the family in here? And how do we deal with these things? So let's jump in. Uh, the first thing that you've got to know is that uh, this church, this family, is a family that is called by scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. You see, Paul's answer to this whole thing is surprising. It's not what you and I would guess. Because the first thing he talks about is grace. The first thing he comes out with um, is verse 4. I give thanks for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul comes out and thanks God for this dysfunctional family. You and I would scold, right? Stop doing this. Do that. You got to stop doing that. Tell that guy to get out of here. Blah, blah, blah. He says, no, I thank God for you. Because the grace of God uh, was given to you. Why? Because Paul knows the only reason this bunch of pagan, worshiping, pleasure-seeking, uh, power-grabbing group of people is even in the same room together is because of the grace of God. That's what Paul is assured of. And so it's nothing short of amazing that into this mess uh, of a church with all the things going on, Paul doesn't start where we would normally start. Paul doesn't start trying to fix them. Paul says, I'm so thankful for the grace that God has given you. 
You see, grace by its very definition is scandalous. It's unmerited favor. It's, it's God giving us in this room, God giving uh, the church of, Corinthian, of the Corinthians salvation for free. We, we get so used to hearing that that it falls on deaf ears, but this is scandalous grace. That we would be given um, that type of unmerited favor. That God gives us that salvation for free when we don't deserve it. The only uh, thing that we earn uh, from God, that we should earn from God, is his disdain. Because we're his enemies. The only repayment we should get um, for our life um, is God's wrath. But into that place, God, as we know, sends Jesus, right? And this is the message that Paul's trying to remind them of. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, right? Reminding them Jesus is the one who obeyed um, God's law uh, perfectly. Convicted for a crime he didn't commit. Sentenced to death on a cross. <clears throat> He's crucified. Uh, his blood is offered as a payment for our sin. <clears throat> Pretty sure I'm going to need some water, so if someone could grab me that. <clears throat> I apologize. <clears throat> Many of you know that... <clears throat> Thank you. Wife to the rescue. <clears throat> Many of you know... <clears throat> hopefully this will work. <clears throat> that um, this past week... Um, I uh, was a long week for me, <clears throat> trying to preach a funeral and all that. My body has said, I think you're done a little bit, so <laughs> I apologize about that. <clears throat> all right. And so, um, we know the story. God comes into this, uh, sends his son Jesus uh, into this place, this world uh, of total debauchery. And he says, I've lived perfectly for you, Corinth. Corinth. Um, I've died for you. I'm putting your record of debauchery and sin on my back. You're getting my record of sinless life on yours. I'm giving this to you. This is the offer of salvation that's extended out uh, to them for free. This is nothing short of scandalous. Um, scandalous um, grace. You see, grace coming into the city of Corinth um, was scandalous. If there was any place that God's grace probably should have passed up, it was Corinth. Uh, if any of us were in God's position, we would say, that's a lost cause, right? We would look at that place and say, there's no way, right, that you should even bother with that. Don't, don't, don't even give them forgiveness because what? They'll never appreciate it. They'll turn their back on you the, the second you walk away. Not, not to mention, you're enabling them, right? Look at this crazy life they're living. You tell them about forgiveness, they're going to be like, sweet, I keep going. Why are you loving them? Okay, you can forgive them once, but don't do it again. Right? Why would you do that? They clearly aren't going to love you back. But God shows up to Paul and says, go, because there are people in that city who belong to me. See, the power of God uh, to show up in the city of love, right? This city of love where, where men and women are wooing each other uh, to themselves. And God shows up and says, no, I'm going to woo you. Your power of love, is, you don't even understand love. I understand love. That's scandalous um, grace. This is um, who God uh, is. So how do, you, how do we get that grace? How does this happen? How um, do we uh, come into contact? Because see, many of us, right off the bat, we're tempted to think so highly, already to, to think too highly of ourselves. Because we think that, man, if I saw that gift of grace, I would just grab it, right? 
I would, I would hold on to it and say, that's mine. That, sounds, that looks awesome. I'm going to take care of that. I, I want some of that. But the reality is, on your own, even when you see grace, we turn away from it. The reality is, on our own, we're opposed um, to God. And that is because we have to even be called to that grace. It's not enough just to see it. It's not enough um, to go to look at it and say, man, that must be amazing. God actually has to reach out and grab us <laughs> and call us um, into this scandalous um, grace. And see, this calling, for many of us, we think of um, our own kids. And we, and we think of when I, when I yell at my kids and say, come here! <laughs> and what do they do? They don't come, right? They're, they're still somewhere else. They're playing a game. Or we say, you know, pick up your shoes. Five minutes later, the shoes are still on the ground, right? Our calling doesn't seem to work, right? Or when we call someone on the phone and they don't answer, we think, well, that's how God's calling works. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Is their heart ready or not? And let me tell you something, that is not the calling that Paul is speaking of. Do you remember Paul's story? That's why Paul starts in verse 1. I was called by the will of God to be an apostle. This wasn't my idea. I was killing people in the name of God. And God had to knock me off uh, my rocker, um, bring me um, to a place where I could even hear him. Y'all, this is, Paul's, Paul's so, so sure that this was not his idea because of his story. And so he's reminding the Corinthians, listen, this is not you moving to God. This is God moving towards you. See, the calling of God is to remind us that God takes the initiative. God moves um, towards us, and that's what the Bible means um, when it says that we um, are called. It's why in verse 2, Paul says to them, Corinthians, you were called <clears throat> to be saints together, just like me. And so God moved towards them. He initiated their relationship. You wanted nothing to do with him. And this is what makes that grace all the more scandalous, that unless God calls us, and unless he moves towards us, unless he changes our hearts, we won't even respond to this beautiful gift of scandalous grace. It would pass us right by. But God's love is towards us is so great that even though we're lost um, in our own cesspool of life, even though we might be Corinthianizers, God runs after us, woos us, and calls us, and says, I've got something for you. So this is what happens in adoption. Many of you guys know this. Uh, some of you have adopted. Um, some of you are fostering, doing an amazing work um, for God uh, in this way. Um, but, you, you know, there's this amazing picture of, of a helpless infant, right, born um, into this world and now is technically an orphan. Uh, whose, whose family um, and I, am I going to, to be in? Helpless baby has no say in the decision of where they end up, right? This baby can't say, I want to be in that family. I want to go over there. I want to do this. Completely um, helpless. They don't know what's going off, uh, on. And oftentimes they're being taken out of this uh, potentially destructive um, place uh, uh, where they might be. And, and so if you have adopted, you know this moment. You know this moment when, when a judge declares to you that this child is yours. And what's the way in which that happens? They have your name forever. Right, adopted in this one moment, declared to be yours, never to be revoked, never um, to be taken back. And that's that defining uh, moment. This child goes from not having a family to, to having a family from one name um, to another. And God has called you by that same scandalous grace. He's given you his name, beloved child of God. So what about you? Do you know that uh, you've been uh, called by this scandalous grace? 
Let, 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 it, let it be reminded to you this morning, even as we, as we celebrated baptism, <laughs> that God called you. Right? God called you. He wooed you. Um, he's made good um, on his promise. But that it wasn't you that moved towards God. God moved um, towards you. What else? Well, you never know when God is calling someone in your own life. Right? We don't know. We don't, ha- we don't, have, to, uh, we don't have to know what's going on, but God uh, may be the one convincing them. We don't have to, just as we're, we're going to uh, talk about in this public faith class, um, getting all of our words right and all those types of things. The reality is God may be calling uh, someone in your own life. And we get to rely on God's calling, and then we get to love them. We get to love uh, other people. We get to know their story, and we get to invite them. Hey, is God knocking on your heart? We don't call them. God does. And no doubt there's someone in this room right now um, whose God is calling on your heart. He may be knocking um, on your uh, door, and you may be saying, I'm beyond this. I'm beyond uh, redemption. I'm beyond uh, God being able to call me because of what's going on in my life. Well, did you see the story of the Corinthians? You see what they have going on? Why don't you come home and let God put his name on you? So listen, first we've got to understand that this family um, is called um, by, uh, the sc- by scandalous grace. The second thing is our family here, we've got to understand that we are cultivated by scandalous grace. If the family starts by grace, uh, the family also has to grow by grace. It grows um, by grace. Verse 5 uh, and 7, Paul says, In every way you are enriched in him. That's the key part. In him in all speech and all knowledge, so that you are not lacking um, in any spiritual gift. See, this was the Corinthian problem. They didn't understand the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. They thought, hey, this is how you start, but now we've got to keep it going. <laughs> uh, we've got to keep this thing uh, moving. Didn't understand that the cross is not just the beginning, it's also the middle and the end. It shows us how to live and serve uh, in the family of God. Let me ask you this question. If a church is not cultivated by grace... How is the church cultivated? I'll tell you, it's cultivated by arrogant self-reliance. <laughs> That's how it grows. That's the only other way it grows. It's either by grace or by me. And so um, uh, that's a place where no one wants to be. That's <laughs> uh, kind of a place um, like Corinth. Paul had to address um, the church here. I don't know if you, you, did, you wouldn't notice this, um, but Paul addresses the church as the church of God in Corinth. That's unique to this letter. Everywhere else, Paul says, uh, uh, greetings to the church of Galatia, greetings to the church of Thessalonica, all such things. Here he says, no, let me, let me remind you, this is the church of God, and it happens to be in Corinth. <laughs> because they were so full of themselves, um, uh, prideful, thinking, we've got to keep this thing going, and God is blessing us. He's giving us all these gifts. He's pouring this on, right? And they were thinking, man, we got it going on. <laughs> Apparently, God just keeps pouring out these gifts. We've got words of knowledge and we're speaking in tongues and we're doing all this stuff. And man, we must be quite something. And Paul says, hey, let me just remind you, this is God's church. (laughs) And it happens to be in Corinth. It's not yours, right? And so they were thinking that their gifts were a result of their own greatness. They were proud of how God seemed to be pouring this out on them. And so um, they had forgotten that these are gifts by definition, they are given, um, not because of how great they are, but simply because uh, of the grace, the scandalous grace. That's why it says you were enriched in Jesus, <laughs> in him, 
not because of you. And so it reminds them that the, the only thing that the Corinthians are rich in is one thing, scandalous grace. <laughs> That's the only thing you guys can brag about is how much uh, grace has been given to you. And then where that gets you is bragging about God, not about yourself. And so they're in an identity crisis because they think that their identity is found in how well the gifts are working out. They didn't realize that they already had uh, their own identity in Christ. It plays out for us um, today too, doesn't it? Because uh, many times we don't feel like we have an identity and so we're insecure. Um, you know, this past week, as I mentioned, um, I was preaching this funeral and, um, you know, I reached out to the church and asked you to pray. You guys are amazing. Um, so many of you responded to me uh, and, and said you were praying and that meant the world to me. You know, you know what's sad <laughs> is that the reality is I was so concerned that uh, my identity was going to be found in that moment. That's really what was being prayed for. Of course, it's being prayed for uh, the, the, the ones hearing and all those things, but my, my, my identity, I was having an identity crisis. I was concerned. I, I wanted people to hear the gospel, but really I was concerned. I was saying, this is the one moment. It's all on me. <laughs> of course, that's not true. Where's your identity? Um, is it in Christ? Uh, is it in uh, what he has done uh, for you? You see, two things happen when we start trying to grow um, by arrogant self-reliance. Two things. First one, we get really good at it. <laughs> and we become really good rule followers and rule keepers, and we make everybody else try to follow the rules, right? And it makes us even more proud, but we get really good at it. The second one is um, you get really bad at it, and so you fall into despair, and you say, I don't really care anymore. I think God loves me anyway, right? Those are the two places you go um, when you're trying to rely on yourself. Despair or arrogance, uh, 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 pride, pride in yourself. And so we think that if we're in the first camp, if we're, if we're uh, you know, rule followers, then, you know, what we need to do is kind of lighten up a little bit, right? Dude, just take it easy, all right? It's okay. Drink a little, live a little, you know, Corinthianize a little. Um, that's what we do. If you fall in the second camp of being uh, kind of lazy, we say, tighten up a bit. You know, get it together. Come on, you can't be doing that stuff, you know? You got to get it together. Well, I'm here to tell you they're both wrong. Um, the biggest stumbling uh, block of the church is that we don't know how to move forward. We don't know how to grow in grace because we think we've got to grow on our own. How do we grow? We grow by feeding on this scandalous grace, by feeding on it. I remember the story uh, of a man who was sinning um, out of anger towards his children. Um, they just, you know, he would go to work all day and he would come home and he just, every time he was with them, it was just like, Argh! And, and he would yell at them and uh, belittle them. And, and when they didn't have the right grades, he would just, you know, come down on them. He would shame them in sports when they weren't good. And, and, um, and so he had this, 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 this issue. He just kept uh, sinning. He was hurting his kids and by the way that he was living. He knew it was a problem, but he felt completely um, powerless uh, to change it. And so a good friend of his walks in, and, um, and, uh, and the man, uh, when he asked for help, he wanted his friend to just give him some rules, you know? Tell me how to fix this. I mean, this, I, I need some help. You know, I need some guidelines. Uh, tell me what the things are that I need to say and all that type of stuff. And, and um, unfortunately, um, his friend didn't do that. Um, his friend said, no, instead, every time this happens, what I want you to do is you need to come tell me about it. I want you to come repent. I want you to come confess um, your sin. And so the man's like, oh, come on. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to hear, right? You're supposed to fix me. You're supposed to help me. Um, I want to grow by <clears throat> getting it together and white-knuckling this thing. 
So his friend says, nope, you just keep coming. And so he did it, reluctantly. So each time the man um, um, would come and, and he would uh, tell his friend, and, um, and you see, this was harder for him. It would have been easier to have some guidelines. Way harder to come and say, man, I did it again. I hurt my kids again by the words I said, right? And so each time the man expected his friend to come down hard on him. You got to stop doing that, man. Don't do it, right? Um, get it together. Let me give you some, some rules. But the friend never did that. Instead, this is what he said. You are forgiven. Jesus paid for your sin. God loves you because you have Jesus' record. You are his child. Now you might say, that's ridiculous. Um, that's not going to help. If anything, that guy's just going to keep doing it. And you know what? First time, it's kind of like, oh, that was weird. Um, he kept struggling, comes back, kept getting angry. But the friend kept pronouncing forgiveness over him. Kept giving him that identity. And finally one day the man confessed. And as his friend pronounced that over him, he said, you are forgiven. You are a child of God. He began weeping. Why? Because his heart was beginning to heal. His brokenness was being redeemed. Not because he got the rules together, but because grace was going in his heart. He was growing by grace, not by his own um, um, uh, abilities. He began to actually do it less. He began to sin less and reflect Jesus more, but not by arrogant self-reliance, but by scandalous grace. See, some of you think, well, that's not hard work. Actually, it's really hard. It is harder to go, be vulnerable, repent to your community and to the Lord over and over again and have people pronounce the name of Jesus over you than it is to white-knuckle it and try to figure it out. That's way harder. But this is how God works. Um, The hard work of scandalous grace is putting yourself out there. This is how it's supposed to be in the family of God. So first, um, we've got to uh, be the family that is called by scandalous grace. Second, we're the family that is cultivated by scandalous grace. And finally, we are the family that's kept by scandalous um, grace. See, if the family continues by scandalous grace, um, it is also kept to the very end by that same um, grace. See, Paul says um, in verse 2, he writes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, right? Same word, basically, holy ones, made um, to be holy. That's, remember, remember who he's writing to. You're the Corinthians. You're already holy, is what he's telling them. You've been sanctified. That's what that word is. It's not a, you're getting sanctified right now. You are already uh, holy before the Lord. It's a status that Paul is telling them. You've already been made holy. There are already saints. There are already holy ones. It's not dependent on their faithfulness to God. That's why in verse 9 it says, God is faithful. God is the one um, who is faithful. How does that happen? Um, how, how, how does a group of people that's just wiling out... <laughs> How does Paul look at them and say, you're holy? Well, simple. It tells us uh, in, in verse 8 that we uh, uh, stand guiltless before God. He pronounces over them um, that, this, that you are guiltless. So it's, 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 it's imagine that it's that, that courtroom scene, right? Imagine um, it's you standing before the judge um, and jury, right? You've committed some type of crime, and, and, and the judge comes back and says, um, you're guilty, and the sentence is death. 
Right? And in that moment, as, as everything just falls away, as, as you're uh, being handcuffed and, 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 and going into despair about the rest of your life, the judge walks down uh, and, and takes off his robe right, and puts on uh, the garments of the prisoner. His own hands bound up, um, walks off um, to take your sentence. This is what Paul is saying when he will sustain you to the end, guiltless um, before him. That's not a one-time pronouncement. See, the statute of limitations has run out. Guiltless uh, from now um, until the end. This is the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. The judge judged guilty for sin he did not commit and taking the punishment on behalf of a bunch of ragtag Corinthianizers (laughs) so that they might have scandalous grace. So, guiltless before the Lord. Verse 7 through 9 says this. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, um, our Lord. Several years ago, um, there was a man um, who was a wheelchair participant in the Twin Cities Marathon in Minneapolis. Um, And uh, so he is in this race. He is going. He is almost um, to the end, and he has the moment uh, that is uh, the worst for any participant. Uh, like this, uh, his tire blows out. I mean, he is like within, <laughs> he can like see the finish line. And so, um, but this dude, he's not giving up. And so tire blows out, he keeps on going. And the, he's riding on the rim, riding it till the wheels fall off, literally. And so the rim is, is going and the rim starts to bend and buckle underneath his weight uh, until the whole thing just collapses and he falls over. Right, and so people are on the sidelines and they just, what do you do? They, they run over to him and they pick him up, right? And this man, they, they walk with him all the way um, across um, that finish line. Listen, God will sustain you. That's what that's a picture of. Your broken, busted, disgusted life, right? Broken, wheels falling off, um, laying on the ground. God uh, sustains you. It's even more powerful than that because um, God's the one who started you. God walks you all the way through and he brings you um, to the finish line. This means that um, you'll be kept in the family of God all the way until Jesus comes again. Not based on you, not based on your own merit, but on God's grace towards you. Scandalous, yes. Gracious, yes. But look at the shape of the Corinthian church. I mean, if Jesus was to come back, um, as Paul was writing this letter, most of us would think there is no way those guys are going to be in heaven with Jesus. <laughs> and yet Paul says, no, even this mess, I'm starting with the fact that you will be in God's kingdom with me. That's how powerful God um, is. You can't lose it. It's not an on-off switch. It's not based on how well you're performing. That's why Jesus said, no one can snatch them um, out of my hand. It's not something we do. We don't sustain ourselves. God is the one um, who sustains us by declaring us as guiltless. He is faithful. You see, um, adoption is the same way. Just as you were called in adoption, you got that name um, put on you. The beauty of adoption is it never ends. The beauty of adoption is uh, once you become an adult, you're still a part of that family. When you go through the struggles of life, you're still a part of that family. You get married and your last name changes because you're a woman. You're still a part of that family. Still adopted. Still a part of it. 
You go to have your own children. Those children are a part of that family. Adoption does not go away. You see, the name of God shows up in this passage. I've counted it a couple times. All right, so somebody's going to come to me and say, you're off by one. Don't be that guy. So the name of God in some way, God, Lord, Jesus, all that, any name, 15 times in these nine verses. Do you understand what Paul is trying to do? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. This starts um, by God. It, it, it continues by God's grace, and it will finish um, by God's grace. There is no other way. And Paul was reminding them, listen, you guys think it's about you. <laughs> you think it's about your own merit. I'm reminding you, it's my grace. It's my power. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you um, for your grace. We thank you for your grace that moves towards us, that we are called um, by you. Um, when we don't deserve it, and when we weren't even looking for it, Lord, you call us. And Lord, right now I pray that um, if anyone is um, feeling called, Lord, that they would come home. They would see the gift of scandalous grace uh, and know that, God, you are calling them and receive that gift. Um, Lord, and uh, for us, Lord, as we're here and we, we, we don't know how to grow, um, Lord, would we grow by grace? Um, not by our own efforts and our self-reliance, but Lord, by continuing to humble ourselves, to repent, to live vulnerably, and to see that your grace will heal us. And Lord, live, give us the confidence that we will continue, we will be sustained to the end um, by the grace that you have given us. We thank you and pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.